0: Computers online, archiving 44K, initiate sequence, T-minus
1: 30 seconds, server connection confirmed, T-minus 25 seconds, live is for and 20K, T-minus 20 seconds, All lines are a go. T-minus 15 seconds now right there mic team I'm expensive and the
0: play right right up right there mic 5 four, three, two. welcome to black op radio the voice of political conspiracy research You're listening to Black Op Radio, the show NSA doesn't want you to
1: hear. Now here it's your host, Leno Sanic. Control, you're on the air.
0: Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Black Op Radio. This is your host, Leno Sanek, and we are speaking to Jim Di Eugenio today from Los Angeles. Hello, Jim.
1: Good evening, Len.
0: Thank you for taking time to uh, talk to me tonight. Usually I ask you what's new in JFK research, and then we get to things that are on your Kennedy's and King website.
1: Well, I think the newest thing is the very weird event that took place on Friday, okay, in LA. This was, to be mild, rather underreported by the MSM, but it was a very odd event that did deserve more exposure. A man approached Bobby Kennedy on Friday, I believe at about 4.45 p.m. in the afternoon, before he was going to go on stage at the, I think it's called the Abel Theater. And it was a packed house. I think it was a Hispanic-oriented event. And a few moments before it was to begin, a man brandishing two firearms exposed and one hidden in his backpack tried to approach Bobby Kennedy about a job on his security detail. Now, before I get into some of the weird stuff about this, let me say this. California is not an open carry state. In fact, it's just the opposite. The reason the NRA hates California is because you can travel from San Diego to Humboldt, from L.A. to Barstow by motorcycle, by car, by bus, and you will never see anybody carrying a weapon. You know, they do that all over back east, you know. But in California, it's one of the reasons why I stay here. It's, it's a no-no. So right off the bat, this guy was breaking the law. He said he had some sort of ID from a security detail. That looks like it's going to turn out to be false, okay? See, Bobby, because... Homeland Security will not grant him Secret Service protection. He has to pay for a private security force. I think it's called DeBecker and Associates. And it's quite expensive for him to do that. And they went ahead and stopped him. And then they called in the LAPD and the LAPD arrested him. Now, on Strange Bedfellows, which is Laurie Spencer's and Rick Walker's show, they found, and I think this is the only... Trace that the guy has online a TikTok video. And at the end of that TikTok, it's not long at all. It's like maybe eight or nine minutes long. At the end of that video, he says words to the effect that Donald Trump is still president. Now, is that bizarre or what? Okay. You know, and this video was made in July. So it's only like a month and a half or two months old. All right. So they've detained him. And I think they've only detained him on the illegal firearms charges. We'll have to find out. They're being very, very tight lipped about this. I mean, very tight lipped about it. The LAPD is. They're giving out very, very little information on on Kennedy's and King. I wrote a little article saying that our readers should go ahead and either write or call. Homeland Security, okay, and asked him why you have not given him Secret Service protection. Uh, He applied for it. It took them 88 days to deny his request, when usually it's done in 14 days. You know, Donald Trump on the Republican side and Barack Obama on the Democratic side applied for Secret Service protection before the primary season, a year before, and They were both granted the Secret Service protection. But Bobby Kennedy, no. All right. I mean, see, in my opinion, that is part of this whole almost um, nationwide attempt to marginalize RFK Jr., you know, like he's not even running, like he's not even there. And this happened at the very beginning when he announced his campaign. His speech got very little publicity even though it should have been a kind of historic moment, you know, considering who the guy is. And then they tried to sabotage his running, okay, by saying that this was really encouraged by Roger Stone uh, in order to weaken Biden and soften him up for Trump, okay?
0: Oh, my God. How could you do anything to weaken Biden? Well, that's, you know, that's
1: what I was just going to say. I mean, Biden is such a... I mean, let's put it this way. Joe Biden is like 80 years old, okay? He has very difficult time, you know, speaking in public. Sometimes he has problems walking in public. And his approval ratings are like at 39%. And if you poll most people, they would like to see somebody else. In my opinion, in my opinion, if Trump doesn't get convicted, okay, And let me say that's a that's a really big if because this guy has something like what, 91 charges against him between the state of Georgia, the Department of Justice and New York City. The the idea that he's going to run through raindrops in all those cases is very hard to believe. Okay, but let's say he does. I wouldn't be surprised if he won, not because of him but because I think Biden is, is not a very strong candidate, to put it mildly.
0: Now, you know, you're being way too polite. He can barely walk, okay? <laughs> he can, no, I'm not being funny. He, he can barely walk. And, uh, and look at the vice president. I mean, who wants that to happen, you know? Kamala Harris. Right. So, yep. I mean, nobody wants her. I mean, there's another, another case of uh, you're supposed to think that of the best and the brightest, right? You know, that's what America has to offer. It's embarrassing. If you ask
1: me, Kamala Harris is probably another Hillary Clinton, you know. Well,
0: if you she's ask not her. that smart.
1: <laughs> so I just have a lot of reservations about this upcoming election. And I don't think, let me put it this way. If Gavin Newsom would have chosen to run, I think he would have killed Biden. I really do. Even though I really, really disagree with him about what he did in the uh, the Sirhan case. But he's an MSM guy. The MSM likes him. I believe that if he would have chosen to run, he would have swamped Biden in the primaries. I, I don't have very strong doubts about that at all. You know, when they when um, you know that show, The Young Turks? Yeah. OK, Sank, one of the co-hosts of that show, he has has really come out strongly against Biden and he has cited polls where the vast majority of people polled, like, well over 50%. They'd like to see somebody else, and they they really hold Biden's age against him. You know, and by the way, I don't think it's really such a matter of age. I just think it's a matter
0: of infirmity. Um, well, look, you had that natural disaster, maybe I shouldn't even call it that, that disaster in Hawaii, yes. and Biden didn't get there for, what, 13 days?
1: Yeah, that was really incredible.
0: And even when that thing in uh, Palestine, uh, at least Trump went there, right? Ohio. Right, Trump went there Mm -hmm. to visit them, you know? I think it was a couple of days later when it was obvious that Biden wasn't going anywhere.
1: Well, and now Trump has outmaneuvered him on the UAW strike. He's going to Detroit before Biden's going to be there, Yeah, you know? See, Trump, Trump, a lot of people... Don't understand what happened in 2016. I spent a lot of time studying that election. And what the Trump team did was they simply outmaneuvered Hillary Clinton. And that's what Trump is doing with Biden now. Okay. She took the Rust Belt for granted, you know, those Rust Belt states in the Mideast and Midwest. And by the way, Michael Moore, he predicted that was going to happen. Okay. He said, come election day, All the professionals, all the scribes, all the people who think they're so smart are gonna wake up and they're gonna be shocked because those people in the Mideast and Midwest are gonna raise their middle finger at the Democratic Party for not doing anything to help them. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, I love watching those. They're all they're all over YouTube. The night of the 2016 election, when all those people were saying this can't be happening. Trump is going to win. You know, and it finally it dawned on them slowly but surely, and they went into a complete state of shock. They couldn't believe they were so wrong. But they were. And this is what I see my now I'm not gonna say it's going to happen, but I see a possibility of that happening again. I mean what's Well every name? time
0: they charge him with something, his ratings popularity goes up. <laughs> you
1: know? Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing is, the more I learn about um, the total fraud of Russiagate, uh, Hillary, Clinton, the Democratic whole party yeah, funding yeah. that, uh, what was it called? Uh, oh, the, the know, British
1: agent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. The, the know, dossier.
0: Right, that made the the, the P tape and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And Obama had to know, too, the he, I mean, those guys were briefed, they would have had to know that this is like, yeah. so that, I guess they just, they never dreamed that Trump would win. So they no. were just-
1: and, and by the way, if you watch those things, what's so funny about them is the way that, you know, people like George Clooney, you know, is on them. They're so confident. You know, they, they're not even taking Trump seriously. You know, they're saying, you know, things like Donald Trump doesn't have a chance in Hades of winning that election. And everybody, the whole Democratic establishment believed that. But there were some polls. There are three of them who suspected that what was going to happen did happen, okay? Because they said that, and this is very interesting, they said that we believe that when you do the right kind of polling, when you actually talk to people, instead of just getting a yes or no answer on the phone, we think that there's a lot of hidden Democrats that will not say in public they're going to vote for Trump, but they are going to vote for Trump. And there were three polls that did, I think one was the LA Times, that stated that was a distinct possibility. I really pity a country that has these kinds of choices, you know? I mean, yeah. you know, we don't, we, we just, it's just terrible, you know, between Biden and Trump. That's why I'm so glad I live in California, because in addition to not having anybody being able to do a drive-by on me or shooting me, okay, uh, in at the 7-Eleven store or the, uh, or the coffee shop, I can vote whoever I want to vote because I know there's no chance in Hades that the Republican candidate is going to win. So the last several elections, I voted for uh, the green candidate. I just don't I just can't don't feel comfortable voting for either one, either the Republican or the Democratic candidate. You know, I, I, I really now, of course, in the primary, I'll vote for Bobby Kennedy. But I don't think he's going to make it, you know. Well, sports. vote for
0: him. Vote for him. Encourage
1: yeah. him. Maybe encourage
0: yeah. others. Okay. So also this week and last week, uh, there's still kind of uh, an aftermath of the uh, Secret Service agent making some revelations that got to do with the magic bullet that he found. And uh, he's going to be appearing at the uh, at WECT, right, with you? Yeah, he's going to be at
1: the Cyril WECT conference. Yeah. You, you had Ben WECT on, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, he's going to be at that conference, and I have no doubt he's going to be asked a lot of questions. And uh, I'll be right there in the front row listening to what he's going to say. That's going to be a very nice conference. That'll that'll be a very interesting conference.
0: Since it's only every 10 years, that's the conference to go to.
1: Yes, yes. Okay, now I did talk about, I think the last time I was on, I said I was going to save my uh, Hoover versus King article for the next time that uh, I was on your show. So let's go ahead and talk about that. Okay, this was um, Hoover versus King, the ARB documents, because Gary Majewski, who is one of our guys who looks through all the new documents, sent me some stuff, and he said, Jim, surprisingly, they're actually declassifying some stuff. The King investigation, both the church committee and the HSCA. And so I'm looking at this stuff and I go, this is kind of interesting. So maybe I should do an article uh, and include these, you know, as part of the conclusion. And so I did. There's a lot of good books about King and I'm not talking about the assassination. I'm talking about the war between the FBI and Martin Luther King. And I use some of these all right, to put together the front part of this article, okay, and uh, and one of them is the FBI file edited by Michael Freedley and David Gallen, and that's, that is, most of that is made up of declassified documents that those two guys got out of the Bureau about the tracing of this conflict between um, the SCLC and the King on one side, and King on one side, and Hoover and the FBI on the other. Now, this goes back to the late 1950s when they began to monitor Martin Luther King. This was when he, he was doing a book signing in New York. Okay. And, and one of the guys who was doing the monitoring for Hoover wrote, Though nothing has come to the Bureau's attention to indicate Reverend Martin Luther King is a Communist Party member, he has been linked with numerous leftist and communist front organizations and is currently active in racial and segregation matters. So right there, right there, you have the opening salvo. This is 1958, right after the fall of McCarthy, but still the HUAC the House on american Activities Committee, is still alive. And although it's not at its peak, okay, they're doing the whole commie hunting thing. And so right there, what you do is you see that, although they know that King is not a communist, they're going to try any trick in the book they can perform, all right, to smear him with that rubric, okay? I mean, Hoover, even though the Communist Party was pathetically weak, You know, Hoover used this tactic, you know, all the time. All right. Even though, you know, there was everybody in the know understood that there was no real threat from the domestic Communist Party. So this will be the device that Hoover is going to use. All right. Also, what they're going to do is they're going to start wiretapping King. It was later discovered that this had begun in the late 1950s, according to Kurt Gentry and his biography of Jagger Hoover. Now, by 1961, early 1961, the battle between King and Hoover comes out in the open because King wrote an article for The Nation in which he complained that the FBI is not doing enough to stop civil rights violations in the South, okay? He also complained that there were not enough agents of color in the FBI. At the bottom of that memo, Hoover then wrote beneath that, why not? He then, King then actually took this argument in public, okay, that the FBI was not doing enough, okay, to combat organizations like the Klan, okay, especially in the South. The SCLC then issued a report several months later in which they also complained about this. Now, how did Hoover counterattack? Pretty predictable. He said that there were communists working in King's civil rights movement. They were Stanley Levison and Jack O'Dell. And he had already leaked that information to certain pol- friendly politicians
0: on Capitol Hill. Now, what do you suppose you have to do to be named a communist? <laughs> no, That's I'm- a heck of a good question. Okay, yeah, yeah, all
1: right. You know, the thing is, neither one of these guys were communists at this time or in the near past. Odell had been a member of the Communist Party many, many years prior. Okay, Levison had never been a member of the Communist Party, but yet Hoover is really going to go after Levison. He was a wealthy New York City lawyer and a benefactor of the SCLC, because what he's going to do, what Hoover is going to do with Levison is the old tactic of, see, we can't prove he's a communist because he's secretly a KGB agent and they have cleaned up his whole past. Okay, so he can actively work for Moscow. And I'm not kidding, by the way. That is really one of the claims that the FBI made about Stanley Levinson. All right, so then Hoover gives us information to Robert Kennedy's camp through John Sigenthaler and Harris Walford, who are two of the uh, guys that Bobby Kennedy has on the civil rights beat. Now, what happens next is that King starts to get worried, and let me quote let me quote what Levison said about the predicament that Hoover left him in in relation to Bobby Kennedy. Levison wrote, "Since the Kennedys were so committed to our movement, they couldn't possibly risk what could have been a terrible political scandal. When I realized how hard Hoover was pressing them and how simultaneously they were giving Martin such essential support. I didn't feel any enmity about their attitude towards me. And by the way, and more than one commentator has said and I think uh, Bill Sullivan, who was a number three guy at the FBI once said this said what this was really about was driving a wedge between King and Bobby Kennedy. By the fall of 1962, the FBI was writing internal memos, memos, exposing Odell. And his past uh, CP background. And certain newspapers were actually publishing this stuff, okay, certain friendly newspapers to the FBI. And so, Ken King, like I said earlier, as Levison described, King understood what a danger this was to his connections with the White House. And so, Odell agreed to resign. While the SCLC did an inquiry, and King was very sensitive about this, he even tried to deny that Odell was playing an important role in the SCLC at that time, which everyone knew that he was.
0: Now, for those who don't know, what does the SCLC?
1: Oh, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Yeah, yeah. That was King's organization, right? Just wanted to. Right. And King was forced to announce that it is a firm policy. That no person of known communist affiliation can serve on the SCLC staff, executive board, or its membership at large. And that temporary resignation, by the way, later became permanent. That was the kind of power that the FBI wielded at that time. Now, King was much more reluctant to exile Stanley Levison. Levison was a guy he truly admired. And gave him a lot of good advice and was a very, very good fundraiser for the SCLC. But Levison understood the situation and he said that he would go on a kind of hiatus and they would communicate through King's New York City lawyer, Clarence Jones. So this is the way that King tried to deal with this very touchy situation. And Hoover assigned Carter Deloach to work the Martin Luther King beat, trying to get King to stop his criticism of the FBI. But it's very clear that King didn't want to talk to Deloach, all right? And Deloach realized this, all right? And so this, of course, made him quite angry. And he started attacking King, all right? And he called Levison a hidden member of the Communist Party. So this now escalated, and the FBI broke into Levinson's home in the spring of 1962. And they now began to press that Levison was really a secret functionary of the Russian intelligence network in the United States. And this couldn't have happened at a worse time because this is when the Kennedys are really getting on board. And Kennedy has submitted the first draft of his civil rights omnibus bill into Congress in February of 1963. No other administration had gotten on board with the civil rights stuff the way the Kennedy administration had done up to that time. So in June of 63, Kennedy invited some of the civil rights leaders up to the White House. During that meeting, Kennedy requested that King take a private walk with him in the Rose Garden, and he brought this subject up about Odell and Levison. And he said, Kennedy was very sensitive to this, by the way, that the fate of the civil rights bill and the upcoming march on Washington are in danger because if King's enemies shot him down, then that would take Kennedy's whole civil rights program with him. So King asked to see the evidence about Levison. And Kennedy said that, He would send Burke Marshall, who was Bobby Kennedy's right-hand man on the Civil Rights Movement, to meet with Andrew Young, who was King's right-hand man. Well, it turned out that Young didn't buy this because he thought almost all of it was straight out of the FBI files, which he did not trust. And so they just considered this to be Hoover's intimidation tactics. But Levison had already decided that they would only communicate through a third party. And JFK was evidently satisfied with that. On July the 17th, 1963, he became the first white politician in Washington to back the march on Washington, which was coming up later in August. And then he said, there was no evidence to show that any civil rights leaders were communists or that the demonstrations were communists inspired. Around the same time, Bobby Kennedy sent a letter to a couple of senators saying the same thing, that if anything, they should be congratulated because the communists have made so little entryway into the civil rights movement considering the real injustices that had taken place. Well, when Hoover heard about this, he really went ballistic. You know, he said, how in God's name Can you say something like that? What is your evidence for that? And this is when Hoover started bugging Bobby Kennedy, that the only way you can be sure about this is if you put a tap on King's phone. All right.
0: And what bolstered this was Hoover said he had. uh, Sorry, you lost me for a second there. You said he was bugging Bobby Kennedy. But then right away you said he was tapping King's phone.
1: No, no, no. He was bugging Bobby
0: Kennedy to approve a tap. Oh, Bob, I thought you meant phone bugging. No, no. Oh, he started
1: okay. you know, bringing this up. The only way you can be sure about this is if you wiretap his phone. Okay? And Bobby Kennedy resisted this, as Billy Sullivan said in his book. He mightily resisted this. But what happened is that Hoover now said he had evidence that – King really was communicating with Levison directly that was probably by a phone tap on Levison's phone so in October of 63 Bobby Kennedy gave in and authorized a trial tap for 30 days and if nothing came up that would be the end of it well we all know what happened something did come up the next month you know and once JFK was assassinated You know, that was it for Bobby Kennedy being attorney general. All right. Okay, And all the evidence indicates, and we have this from more than one source, the FBI had already secretly been tapping King's phone. Okay, they uh, more than one author has said that. And what they wanted was simply a cover for what they were already doing. As we know, once JFK was dead and LBJ was in office, Hoover essentially said it was all over. Bobby Kennedy didn't have any influence on him anymore. And even though there was no evidence of any communist affiliation, Hoover kept that phone tap until the middle of 1965. So much for the whole 30-day thing. The FBI then added taps on 21 hotel and motel rooms that King was staying in. And I really believe once JFK was dead and Hoover did not have to deal with Bobby Kennedy anymore, then it was more or less open season okay, for the FBI against Hoover. Because in 1963, when Hoover had tried to distribute a memorandum to the press criticizing King, Bobby Kennedy made him withdraw that. Well, nobody else did that later. Once Johnson was in the White House... I mean, as everybody knows, like Fletcher Prouty said, Johnson and Hoover were close friends, a much warmer relationship, you know, than the Kennedys had with Hoover.
0: Well, neighbors, I think what he said. Right. You're exactly right. Yeah.
1: Now Hoover set up a special desk in the internal security section with two advisors, and he termed it communist influence racial matters. And they were going to use the communist rubric. In the widest view they could do it in. They then, this is astonishing, they then continued to burglarize Levison's home. One source I found that by 1964, there had been 29 breakings and enterings into Levison's home to try and find out if he was really a KGB agent, which of course he was not. So King now begins to go public with his complaints about this. It is time for this question of communist infiltration to be buried all over the nation. James Farmer, another civil rights leader, said communism is based on a denial of human freedom. It's tough enough being black without being black and red at the same time. In July of 1964, King said in Jackson, Mississippi, that he was sick and tired, of people saying this movement had been infiltrated by communists and communist sympathizers. There are as many communists in this freedom movement as there are Eskimos in Florida. All right? So now what happens, now that this thing has escalated beyond anything like it had been before, Hoover now began to really now go after King personally. He calls him the most notorious liar in the country. And this was in public. You know, Deloach tried to get him to take it off the record, but he wouldn't. All right. King now began to use every asset he had. When he heard that Marquette was going to honor King with an honorary degree, the Bureau sent agents to smear King so they wouldn't do it. The same thing happened at Springfield College. All right. They then recruited their first informant into the SCLC, the accountant, James Harrison, who ended up, I think, giving like 94 pages of reports, single space reports to the FBI. Time magazine named King its man of the year. At the end of 1963. All right. This, of course, enraged him and. Hoover really went bonkers when he found out that the Nobel Peace Prize was going to be awarded to King in Oslo, the youngest ever. He was only 35. And he was going to get a cash award of $55,000, which would be like half a million today. Now, that was going to be at the end of 1964. Between that announcement, and the Time Magazine honor, King made a speech in San Francisco. And to say that this was very unpopular in the FBI uh, is a monumental understatement. This is what he said. It would be encouraging to us if Mr. Hoover and the FBI would be as diligent in apprehending those responsible for bombing churches and killing little children as they are in seeing our alleged communist infiltration in the civil rights movement. Now, the two higher-ups in the FBI, Ellen Belmont and Bill Sullivan, now began to work on material which is being pushed and would be given to Hoover for his consideration. That memo, by the way, still has two pages blanked out, where they first acknowledge they're working on something really bad to attack King with. And what this was, of course, was going to be a composite tape of alleged highlights of their hotel and motel taps on King, suggesting that King was a philanderer and he was cheating on his wife in these various locations around the country. They then offered it to certain people in the media. Ben Bradley, for example, he turned it down. When Burke Marshall heard about this, he complained to Lyndon Johnson about it. But Johnson did something rather weird. He reacted by warning the FBI about Bradley. He was not reliable, and he was squealing the story around Washington. Okay, that's Lyndon Johnson for you. Okay, they offered it to Eugene Patterson of the Atlanta Constitution, the hometown where King was living in. He also refused the offer. All right, Marshall then warned Bill Moyers about what Hoover was trying to do. Moyers informed the White House about this. Hoover heard about this, and he accused Marshall of being a liar, which he was not. Now, remember, what's so interesting about this, I believe, is that most of this is before Johnson's escalation of the Vietnam War. So there's already this conflict between the White House and Hoover on one side and King and the SCLC and the remnants of the Kennedy administration on the other. Now, I don't have to tell you how this ended up, all right? We know how it ended up. This ended up with the famous package that was sent to King in late 1964 in which some people say Hoover was asking King To go ahead and take his own life but Sullivan said it was really they just wanted him to resign you know from his leadership position in the SCLC
0: that's being polite about it yeah
1: Yeah, this is the combination of the composite tape and the letter which I think everybody knows let me read a little bit of it King look into your heart you know you are a complete fraud and a great liability to all of us Negroes. King, like all frauds, your end is approaching. You could have been our greatest leader, but you are done. No person can overcome facts. The American public, the church organizations that have been helping Protestant, Catholic, Jews will know you for what you are. So will others who have backed you. You are done. There is only one thing left for you to do, and you know what that is. So, this was mailed from Miami to the Atlanta office of the SCLC. This was shortly before King was supposed to fly to Oslo to accept the Nobel. Around the same time, November 24th, Hoover made a very strong speech against King, this time indirectly accusing the SCLC of being run by, quote, communists and moral degenerates.
0: Okay. Oh, that's that's rich. <laughs> Coming from a guy who used to dress up yeah, in, right and dresses exactly, dresses and had his picture so King, taken blowing somebody, you know. When
1: King got news of this, he very logically deduced that A it was from the FBI and B that they were trying to break him mentally. But what's so interesting about these papers that Gary Majewski got me is that this campaign against King was not just in the United States. Hoover was determined that King was not going to make any public audiences with any of the leaders that his itinerary had mapped out to meet. So, what we have now is we have cables and airtels from the FBI intel centers in Europe, especially England. And they were clearly designed to foul any planned meetings between King and any European public officials. And by the way, and let me say again, I have to repeat this. These are still heavily redacted. I mean, whole pages have been denied. The FBI found out about King's itinerary as he was going to go to Oslo. I think what they did is they had a spy in Bayard Rustin's camp. Bayard Rustin was one of the principal organizers of the March on Washington, the other one being Philip Randolph. And he was mapping out this journey they were going to make to Oslo, and they were going to have certain stops where King would meet with some kind of foreign dignitaries. Well, however he found out about it, he now began to work on who the intermediaries were going to be and to do everything he could to poison any good welcome that he would get. OK, they even found out about the person that Bayard Rustin was working with in England, which was a, uh, a Labour Party member named Peggy Duff. And then they got in contact with MI5, which is like the equivalent of the FBI in England. And they wanted this smear stuff to be sent through MI5 to Prime Minister Harold Wilson. If you can believe it, it did get to Wilson through MI5 official Roger Hollis. And Hollis then furnished the FBI. He was, they, the MI5 sent out a spy group to go ahead and monitor Bayard Rustin's arrival where he would be staying. And his activities. And he messaged him back to the FBI. Okay. All right. They also had plans to brief American ambassadors in London, Copenhagen, Stockholm, and Oslo. The whole thing. The same agenda. Discourage any attempt to make King a guest of honor. And it ended up at least being partly effective. The American ambassador in Stockholm had planned on meeting King at the airport, but he now decided that he would not do it in person. He would send a flunky to go ahead and meet him. Then Hoover then starts communicating with the State Department, and he wants the USIA, the US Information Agency, which is like a broadcast network abroad, to make public these smears of King. All right, and so Alan Belmont, went ahead and improved these FBI reports and sent them to the USIA. This is incredible, okay? I mean, that this whole story is still being covered up because like I said, there's several pages that are missing in whole from these documents. I mean, it's really kind of insulting. For instance, there was an interagency meeting And get this, December of 1975, between the FBI and the Justice Department, about King, that's nine pages long. There isn't even an ARB cover sheet on it, and almost the entire document is whited out. Now, this has to be concerning either the church committee or the Pike committee. Because it's 1975, you know, it has to be in preparation for either what they're going to give them or what they're not going to give them. And the thing is like nine pages long, almost the whole thing is whited out, okay? Now, if you can believe, you know, the shocking thing about this, of course, how could anybody trust any Hoover or FBI investigation? okay, by his, by this kind of cabal when King was shot in Memphis in April of 1968. Okay. We know that the FBI, some of the agents in Atlanta were jubilant. Okay. They got the, F, they got the SOB. All right. And then when they heard that King was dead, they literally celebrated his death. All right. Okay. Bobby Kennedy, of course, was shot a couple months later. All right. And of course, the FBI didn't shed any tears over that one either. All right. During Kennedy's televised funeral, Bobby Kennedy's televised funeral, Ramsey Clark was drawn aside by an FBI agent. The FBI knew that Scotland Yard had captured the alleged King assassin, James Earl the night before. They did not hold the story, okay? The FBI wanted that story broadcast to break up Bobby Kennedy's funeral, his, his, his high mass in New York City, all right? So this is really a really sorry tale, I believe, all right? Um, And, of course, this went on when Hoover launched his COINTELPRO uh, operations. It broadened out. It wasn't just a civil rights movement anymore. It was a black nationalist movement, like the Black Panthers. Okay? Hoover was investigating almost every chapter of the Black Panthers and over a thousand members by 1969. And if you saw that movie about Fred Hampton, okay, uh, you'll see what happened with just the, the guy leading the Chicago chapter, okay? Um, a very, very appalling story, you know, that I, I, ha- I hate to really even talk about, but I think that, uh, you know, this, this stuff should be out there, all right? You know, I'm, I'm sure you agree. Yep, I agree. Right. Okay, Len. Okay, Bobby Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy Jr. and King tonight.
0: All right, very good then. Thank you, Jim. Okay, good evening, buddy. A- and um, just any other updates of, of anything new to report just about for the Sorrel conference coming up? No,
1: actually, there there's also going to be a dinner there, I believe, on right. the second night. Yeah. And they're going to have a highlight reel, you know, of Cyril's career on the Kennedy case. That should be very, very entertaining. I'm actually looking forward to that.
0: Okay, very good. We'll talk to you in a week or two then. Okay, good night. Good night, thank you.